Hey everybody, this is Cameron in the edit. Just wanted to give you a warning that there is a uh, discussion of suicide later on in the episode toward the end. Uh, and it gets uh, depicted on screen. It's not particularly graphic or anything like that. It's in the graphics of Disco Elysium, but just wanted to let you know that uh, that's coming up. Thanks so much for watching the show, and I'll let you get right to it. Welcome back to Mages and Murder Dads. This is episode 72. We're playing... Mm. <clears throat> nice. Get it, get it. Get it in there. <clears throat> nice. 72. Whoa. Um, I'm Cameron. Hmm. I'm Danny. Taking a big old sip of, <laughs> sip of juice over there. What you doing? <laughs> you know, we, I, I made the coffee and I wanted to, I wanted to get a nice big sip in before we, uh, we haul off into a fantasy realm. We're playing Disco Elysium. It's a fantasy realm. Is it a fantasy realm? So that's a good question. Mm -hmm. And it's one uh, that has been posed throughout the years. Uh, when is it genre fiction? It's it's absolutely genre fiction. It doesn't take place <laughs> in the real world. Mm -hmm. And it uh, it has the genre markers of, uh, of things that are not like either socialist realism or the mm -hmm. bourgeois realist novels. So. Okay. It is genre fiction by definition. Are you sure it's genre fiction and not, uh, as uh, Kazu Ishiguro might say, literature? Mm. Might just be literature. Well, there's no capital L literature. That's fake. Well, uh, Nobel Prize winning British writer. Nobel Prize winning buffoon. <laughs> Katsu Ishiguro <laughs> is incorrect on this one, buddy. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Take that to the bank. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, do you want me to tell you uh, what's happened in Disco Elysium yeah. since we started this series? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So we're, we're figuring out stuff that happened before we started playing. We uh, are a cop that lost their memory. Uh, we find out our name is Harry Dubois. We have a little, uh, we have a some a little bit of assistance, um, and sometimes a lot of bit of assistance from our uh, co-detective uh, Kim Kitsuragi. We are trying to figure out who killed the hanged man. There was a man that was hanged. We found out he didn't die from hanging; he died from getting shot. And we got to this point in slightly different ways. But the, you know, big headline right now is we're trying to find this character named Ruby, who is the head of the Hardy Boys, and not the not the crime-solving Hardy Boys. They're the crime-causing Hardy Boys, if you ask me. What do you think about there being a uh, Hardy Boys reference? <laughs> in, in this game? Yeah, what do you think about that? Do you think it's... Where on the scale of, uh, of like, surprising references do you put that relative to Billie Jean? Ooh. You know, I think they might be... Well, I think it's less surprising because they are crime solvers. Mm-hmm. They're just not as good at it as we are. Sure. But they are crime solvers. They are trying to figure out what's up. Um, the, the Hardy Boys from the children's book series or the Hardy Boys in this game? Well, I guess both are accurate in that I think the Hardy Boys in the fictional book series are, are not as good of crime solvers as I am in real life. Mm -hmm. because they aren't real so i okay. think that is, i think that's true but also mm -hmm. the the hardy boys in the game are not as good 
as the uh, uh, Harry Dubois. I like the logic on your first statement because it also implies that you have bigger teeth than uh, like a pink polka dotted elephant does Mm -hmm. because you exist. Yeah. So basically like whatever characteristics an imaginary entity has. Correct. You have more of them. I am richer than Batman Mm -hmm. because Batman doesn't exist. Mm hmm. I'm stronger than Superman mm-hmm. because Superman does not exist. I am more racist than Namor because Namor doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I, you know what? Uh, ironclad logic. Yeah. To be frank, mm-hmm. because yeah, everything that doesn't exist, Has... its ability to do a thing is zero. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like of the soundboard of, of properties. Mm-hmm. Oh God, we're getting some real uh, analytic philosophy now mm-hmm. of like of like a giant soundboard of all the properties one could have. Right? Yeah, the so. gi- famously much like the trolley problem, the giant soundboard is a regular feature of analytic <laughs> philosophy. We all know that mm-hmm. but, of applied ethics, of course. We, we, all one, know, we don't even need to go into the background of that. There's one little knob that mm-hmm. says, uh, you know, polka dottedness. And you can you can crank that sucker up, or you can crank it down. So yeah. zero is like no polka dots whatsoever. Yep, all the way up. Yep, y- you really get there. But there's an on-off switch up in the corner of the soundboard, and when that is off, all the properties are set to zero. Yeah. Hmm. That's exactly how it is. There you go. I think well, I feel like we figured something out, or you want to call it for the day? Yeah, I think we're good. Good, good app. <laughs> nah. Is that all that's happened so far? Yeah, we got, we, we're on the other side of the island. We're trying to track down Ruby. That's literally what's happened in this game. We have yet to reach the episode where something happens. You keep this asserting is, that, but think <laughs> things have happened. No, we've, we, okay, so they're kind of we like... We met a two, dice maker and the dice maker made something. Sure. That's that not happened in the, in the main, progression that's not in the of main time. Quest. That's not in the main quest. In the main quest, yes, things happen, but I'm trying to draw a distinction between mm-hmm. there are certain acts in this game which are acts of discovery. Yes. Of a phenomena that has happened in the past, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we found out that this happened. So mm-hmm. up until this point... Some sort of Jonathan Franzen. <laughs> yeah. Just illuminating uh, the shit out of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Up until this point, you can tell the entire story in this game, uh, like in terms of the, the the meat and bones of the main quest. Yep. And the story ends well before the protagonist, Harry Dubois, wakes up in his tidy whities in the hotel room. Well, can I ask you a question then? Sure. Is every Sherlock Holmes story about nothing happening? Was it the original show about it was nothing? The ori- it was the original Seinfeld, absolutely. Because nothing ever happens in Sherlock Holmes. It's mm-hmm. all about figuring out what happened beforehand. Mm-hmm. So by your your logic here, mm-hmm. by your logic, you're suggesting mm-hmm. that nothing has ever happened in a Sherlock Holmes story, other than Sherlock Holmes being tackled off that waterfall <laughs> yeah. when he died. Yes, that that was the one. The one that was no. the one. So all of the Sherlock Holmes stories are a prelude to him being tackled off that waterfall, which did happen in real time and ended the stories of Sherlock Holmes. 
Yes, that's the one thing that happened. You would okay. do the episode recap and be like, nothing's happened yet. Mm. He's found okay. out some stuff. That's why, like, in academia, mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of doing nothing. Do you think that we only do until, historical research? Until, until like, uh, until there's a scandal. Some sort of Sokol hoax? Nothing happens in academia un- un- until the Sokol <laughs> hoax. And that's because someone had to invent ideas in real time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until there's like just absolute fraud. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of absolute frauds, <laughs> I, I don't have a good. This is not a good. Uh, but no, it kind of is. There's a little bit of fraud going on here. So uh, we've got one more. I would say big side quest. I would say this is one of the more. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I'll put my cards on the table. I found mm-hmm. this side quest probably the most interesting one in the game. Where are you on it? I agree. I think it's interesting. I think it does a lot of cool, even though uh, we have not said what it is. Uh, it does a lot of cool stuff, mm-hmm. and it loops in a lot of cool stuff that we've already talked about, which is good. Yeah. I ran into a wall with this one. Ooh. Much, kind of like the quest we talked about last time, the cryptid quest, where I was not able to complete it. And I was not able to complete it to such an extent that I thought that I had kind of soft-locked myself into the middle of this game without being able to complete it. Wow. And I'll talk about and that it, when, we, when we get there, but I okay. want to give a little prelude that um, that you can, and I actually found multiple people online, because I was trying to solve my problem, so I started Googling around, like, oh shit, can As I actually... Does. Yeah, can, can I actually complete the game? And it seems like you can actually put yourself in a place in this video game where you cannot complete it due to having a number of white checks that you are, have not completed um, and then not having the ability to like go and level up to then unlock a white check. Mm, so basically, the statistical anomaly of failing enough and yet not having enough experience to unlock the failures to try again. Exactly. And so you would have to presumably back up a save you know, and the game does a pretty good job of auto-saving regularly, so that, that wouldn't be a problem, but you would lose. Like, I would have lost an hour and a half of, you know, uh, progress. Which, in this game, I have found, like, losing 20 minutes hurts way more than losing 20 minutes in, like, Baldur's Gate, for some reason. It, it, this is something that I found throughout the game, mm-hmm. unfortunately, is I think that this is a game of diminishing returns, in the sense of of uh, unlocking new information, mm. meaning that when I played the game the first time, I found it, it moved on novelty. I think I've said this already some, somewhere in the show, mm-hmm. but it moved on novelty, right? Wow, it's really cool to be exploring all this new stuff and find all these things and all this world building that's here and all of that. On a replay, even with a re- even a replay that has um, some pretty good guide rails on it, right? That keeps me f- doing a pretty particular kind of thing, and you're doing your own pretty particular kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Even with those guide rails on, I find myself like having to trudge through some conversations, especially in this last third of the game that has a lot less flexibility in it, as far as the pathways that you have to take. I agree with you. This quest that we're about to talk about is one of the better ones in the game. It's also one of the most linear, if not the most linear, in the sense of there's really just one path through it. Yes. And there's not even a variety, as far as I could tell, and I could be wrong, but a variety of skills and methods you could use 
to get through some of the challenges, which is actually my exact problem, which got me locked up. So um, before we, we prelude any more of that, you know, tell me about how you got this going. So there's one big area in the game that uh, is, as of yet, kind of unexplored. And for us, that is the large church that kind of dominates the northern half of the kind of western uh, western part of the map. Mm-hmm. And when I, I initiated it by kind of going up to the door, and it was padlocked, and the padlock had a sticker on it, that was like a little smiley face, but with X's for eyes. And I talked to Kim about this. I was like, what does this look like to you, Kim? And Kim says, oh, that looks like a uh, smiling dead man. And I was like, that's what it looks like to me, too. What, is it, what does it mean? And Kim's like, looks like uh, juvenile delinquency. <laughs> and I was like, what's that? And he's like, this was covered in your exams, but I'm going to tell you because that's my purpose in this game. Um, that is, uh, you know, when, when kids do crime, it's not crime, it's delinquency. Mm. We kind of treat it differently. So very much kind of like a real world answer to that question, which is more or less how it's supposed to work in scare quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we hear like some thumping bass just South of here. And, uh, we can go like, take a little circuitous route across some ice flows and we uh, see a little encampment that more or less... Uh, oh, I peel off the sticker and put it on my cop ledger. Put it right on the cover. Did you put the symbol on the cover? Yeah, the little sticker. The little uh, sticker of the smiley face. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I peel it off and kind of personalize it. I completed a, se- a secret task of uh, to kind of kit out my ledger. So that's fun. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. Um... Is that more or less how you got introduced to this uh, rad ta- ragtag group? No, I was just walking around and I discovered a seal or a cell. Oh, yeah. There, uh, a cell is, uh, she's got some like recording equipment. And uh, when you talk to her, she uh, she basically tells you, yeah, I'm like doing some experimental recording of what I think is the ice cracking. But she doesn't have headphones on. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm able to talk to her, and she says, yeah, there's some other people here. Um, uh, I more or less kind of, like, talked with her and beelined it to the tent. But I think before I left, I did notice that she looked really cold, and I gave her my hat. Which this was, is very funny, because I had an extremely long conversation with this character. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I had a little orange, like, beanie cap on, and I gave it to her. I had my FAL cap on. F-A-L-N. Oh no! Yeah, you gave which is her like the a FALN. Yeah, which is a good hat. Uh, <laughs> but no, so so I, so I have this conversation with her, and it's like she looks cold, and I walk up to her and was like, "Hey, you should wear a hat." And she says, <laughs> she said something, and I was like, "Well, you should really think about wearing a hat." And she says, "Fuck the hat," and I was able to have an authority check. Whoa! That I then failed, and so I was like. So, so, you know, I, I am not able to establish authority. And so that makes me double down. So I was like, fuck the hat. Fuck the hat. <laughs> You're telling me to fuck the hat. Oh, and like, I'm, I'm getting more and more angry. And like, all of these are separate dialogue options that I'm clicking through one by one. 
and but it gets really funny because he's like uh or in the dialogue it's like you're telling me <laughs> to fuck the hat right here on the sea ice <laughs> you want me to fuck this hat on sea ice <laughs> and so like he just keeps doubling down and i have the option to continue yelling that or uh, to uh, to puff out my cheeks, and I, and I don't puff out my cheeks. I just keep yelling about uh, fucking the hat on the sea ice and about the end of days. And oh, somewhere God. around right here, uh, I, I am able to trigger Apocalypse Cop. Oh, God. <laughs> and so I do have a type now, and it's Apocalypse Cop, just letting you know. Mm. Um, but anyway, do you, so... Do you end up fucking the hat? No, I didn't fuck the hat. Because... because... Uh, well, I yelled so much that I started crying. <laughs> this is a this is what the uh occasionally there will be failures that just really result in like a catastrophic failure like a real like breakdown yeah um, and so so yeah i did i had like a full-on uh weeping breakdown and began crying and she also began crying because of how distressing it was yeah and, th- and then at the end of the conversation i was like no but really seriously you look cold <laughs> you you should wear a hat <laughs> and I gave her my hat. Did you take a morale hit during this? Oh, I, I think I took a bunch of morale hits <laughs> over the course of this conversation. I, I actually asked, um, I don't know if I mentioned it in a in a past uh, episode, but I, I asked whether or not you fucked the hat because I had an intrusive thought, I think, this episode when I was just walking next to the pawn shop mm-hmm. where something caught my eye and my electrochemistry tried to cajole me just into masturbating Did you on the street. Did you do that? No. That's the one The one thing I did not do in accordance with my character, which would have been to do this. Mm-hmm. Because there was a dialogue option was like, but Kim's here. And the electrochemistry was like, it doesn't matter. And I, I could not will myself. Like, as, as, as quote-unquote unhinged or out there as my mm-hmm. character is, uh, I would not do that to Kim. That's just a, a, a bridge too far. It's a it's one step way way too far, and and that step's very long. It's a big but, yeah. It's like a lot of little steps, and then like a big like mm-hmm. a leap. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, who knows what kind of content uh, I evaded by doing that, and who knows what kind of content you evaded by not fucking that hat that hat on the ice. If I had the option to do it, I would have done it, but it, it was not available to me. Mm. Because um, obviously, because of the character you're playing, you don't care about Kim at all. No, not at all. That wouldn't have been the problem there. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think I was in the, you know, I've kept a very, uh, like, laconic, flat affect as much as I can, controlling my feelings as much as I can. And the the game made it pretty clear that things just got away from me here. And so, like, I was kind of willing to go down whatever path that mm-hmm. it took me. But yeah, so it just made me kind of freak out a little bit. And uh, it's interesting, too, you didn't mention Contact Mike. Uh, contact Mike? No, I knew that she had a microphone. She had it up against the thing, but it just uh, all of this uh, AV it, stuff didn't really appeal to me. Hold on. Do you know about Contact Mike? No. So this is... Perhaps I, you know, I would say that for players of Disco Elysium, and, and I think just people who know about the game, this is maybe the most legendary piece of writing in the game. Hmm. I know when the game came out, everyone was like, "Oh my god, this is very funny." 
so she has a, she has a contact microphone, right? Which is literally it's it's a, a mic that um, it's like a it wire, against, like surfaces, right? Yeah, exactly. And you get all this kind of stuff. Check out uh, our completed um, actual play podcast, Sword Coast Coast to Coast, to hear a lot of contact microphone um, recordings used as background sounds. Ooh. But uh, but anyway, so she's using it, and and you can have a thought when you're talking to her about it. You can have this thought, and that thought is, oh yeah, but what about Contact Mike, the boxer? Hmm. And she's like, I don't know who Contact Mike is, and and so then you can begin to give her a motivational speech about Contact Mike, the the man, the boxer who hits people, <laughs> and the differences between Contact Mike and a Contact Mike. And, uh, you know, you can tell her not to not to be down on herself because she seems depressed. She says she self-medicates. She says the world's a huge bummer. Mm. And uh, and I was able to make some empathy checks here, too. Anyway, if you don't know, the con <laughs> the contact mic stuff is very funny mm-hmm. because it's you just mistaking a contact mic for a man who is named contact mic. Who is in the world's fiction real. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a uh, boxer named this. There's a boxer named this. His poster is in the gym. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can have a thought catalog thing or a thought cabinet. I keep doing that. A thought cabinet thing that is uh, uh, like the rise and fall of Contact Mike or something like that. But I didn't oh, do that. That seemed okay. like too far beyond what I was interested in. Mm-hmm. But you, but I was able to have a couple, uh, an empathy check initially that allowed me to see, or no, maybe it was an automatic success because she is basically trying to get the these um recordings but as you said she doesn't have headphones and you find out she doesn't have headphones because her boyfriend pawned them uh Mm -hmm. for drugs presumably and so she's doing all this recording because she wants to be a musician like these cool dudes like these avant-garde musicians in jam rock but she and she has the equipment to do it but now she can't even listen to hear what she's doing so she she's kind of like rudderless a little bit and i had an empathy check that was like talking her up basically and I was able to be like, hey, look, you know, this is your ticket. Like, don't get down on yourself. This is very cool what you're doing. You gave her the motivational speech from Rocky Balboa. Well, that was the contact mic conversation was like, yeah, you should do that. And then mm-hmm. unrelated to that to that <laughs> motivational speech, I gave her an additional one that was a little okay. bit more uh, emotive. Mm-hmm. And then I went and talked to the, uh, the fellows in the uh, thing. Which Kim does not follow me because it's it's too tight of an of a tent. Yeah, and that's actually why a, a cell is out on this ice is because the tent is too tight, so she doesn't fit. Wow. Yeah. Presumably, I guess one of these dudes is her boyfriend. I'm assuming it's Andre. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about these tent dudes. Well, we've got Andre. We have Egghead, and we have. Uh, let me double check here. Noid. I almost said the Noid, but I think it's just Noid. Um, I think the Noid is like a cartoon character. I'm double checking. Mm-hmm. It is. Yes, it was the advertising character for Domino's Pizza. It looks like a strange rabbit in a superhero costume. It's not that. It's just Noid. Very important. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, Andre, uh, kind of has like a, uh, I don't know, some spiky hair, uh, Egghead is yelling all the time about it being hardcore and Noid is very standoffish. I talked to Andre first. 
and kind of get the lay of the land. Um, Andre basically says that they are experimental musicians and they're, they've been looking for real estate and they have some connections in jam rock, but the issue is it's just too expensive to like find a venue there that they can like perform. So that is what has led them here. I noticed like a couple of things in the room. Like I noticed these, uh, some cough medicine. I noticed some like the smell of ether. I notice um, distilled water, but I make nothing of it. I'm like, hey, what about what about these things? And he just shrugs, and I shrug too. And I'm like, yeah, well, got a drink. You know, people have coughs, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of tells me his problem. This is Andre's big problem. Andre's big problem is that this church is haunted. Basically, uh, there is a crab man that's hanging out there. <laughs> That is very scary. Um, And there's also a ghost. So that's like double bad. Yeah. Does not know whether these two entities are related, but they're both, they're both spooky. Mm -hmm. They're both scary. So problem. He characterizes it as, uh, if not supernatural, I think he's more characterizing as, oh, these are drug addicts in some way. Yeah, um, and he has locked them in the church. <laughs> yes, no, he, uh, either he or the Noid, like, put a padlock on there. Yeah. And, he's, and, and he says that he is 85% sure that they're alive. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was able to, to, to be like, Kim, do you think they know what manslaughter is? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's when he gave me the 85% number. He was like, yeah, look, 85% sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so basically, uh, I ask him, so, so that's your plan. You want to, you want to get this club? And he's like, yeah, but you've got to take care of, of these entities, the crab man, the ghost, i.e. perhaps, uh, drug addicts, people that are, that are problematic. And I was like, I'll, I'll check it out. If you give me a key, he does give me a key before I leave. I also interact with, um, with egghead and Egghead is basically, and when you interact with Egghead at first, it's basically just a little conversation tree puzzle. And it's not even really a puzzle. It's just, I mean, I guess it's a puzzle. Same way like Sudoku might be a puzzle or something. But anyway, wow. he's just... <laughs> I Just the the sheer weight with which you drop that one off. <laughs> Oof. It's numbers. They they always take, add up. There's one. Sudo- it's numbers, and they always add up. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry if we got some. Look, I mean, it's fun. Jeez. Passes the time. I guess the same way a conversational tree puzzle does. Oof. Yes, yeah, Sudoku users, take your word jumble and get out of here. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, but you know. Sometimes you have a second cup of coffee and just start start spewing truth over mm-hmm. the airwaves. Put a put a microphone in me. Get me a second cup of coffee for the day. Oof. Mm. It's double dosing the, over here. I understand the rush now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So, did you solve the egghead puzzle? No, I hate talking to this guy, and I hate this character. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't even try. I like went through this conversation dialogue one time and then had this like muscle memory flashback to the last time I played this game. And I thought, God, I hate this guy <laughs> and yeah. did not pursue it anymore. Mm-hmm. I uh, I just kind of brute forced it where I like selected the first 
dialogue option every time until it failed. Mm-hmm. And then I got to that point and then I did the second dialogue option, went back to the first until I failed. And I just like remembered one or two because there's always one or two options. And it's just him yelling hardcore and you can either say nothing or repeat it or question it depending on where you are. Yep. And eventually uh, when you solve it, he comes to the conclusion that the beat that he is listening to is only super hardcore and not ultra hardcore. Hmm. And that there is just something missing from it. There is like an emotional depth missing from it. Luckily, I have this sad ass tape of, um, oh gosh, L- let me let me get the name of it. The it's smallest church in Saint Sin. That's right. It is the smallest church in Saint Sin that I have uh, that I've got on me, and um, luckily I am able uh, to just give him that tape to to add some emotional depth. Um, I have also the previous night before, like you know, at the beginning of, uh, I guess yeah, at the end of the last day, I performed karaoke. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that. I was comfortable with handing over the tape because I had already absolutely nailed it. And it wasn't even, it's very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, I went up there. I have a one in intellect. Mm-hmm. And it is a drama check to do this. I am in a full tracksuit. There's no, uh, I'm getting nothing to my drama ability, right? But I go up there and I have a 3% chance on the drama check, and I succeed. Um, I then, basically, my reptilian brain voice does this Tom Waitsy rendition of the smallest church in St. Sins, which is just, like, maybe three stanzas of it concluding that, like, nothing matters. And there's there's a little limited applause, and I just go up to Garten and is like, I rock the shit out of that. Yeah, I never tried to do karaoke because I never said I would, and I was not interested in it. Mm-hmm. And so it is interesting that something when I played the game the first time was very important to me. Oh, this is mm-hmm. fun. I just, it was not in my role-playing kind of mentality of this uh, this playthrough, just not, not interesting to me. I will say that uh, I think that the reptilian voice version is the worst of the two. Mm. I actually like the other version is like the limbic system. Oh, does the limbic system sing it if you fail? Yes. Ah. Um, and, I, and I'll also say that both of these are worse than the actual real song that this is. Oh, interesting. Uh, when you say real song, like, uh, that, did they have an artist, like, uh, record yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I guess we haven't talked about this, but the, the music for this game is by the band British Sea Power, and mm. almost all of the songs, I actually don't know what percentage it is, but a large chunk of the music that is in this game are just adaptations of previously existing uh, British Sea Power music. So this is this is a re-editing or, or a re-lyricizing of their song, The Smallest Church in Sussex. Mm. And then, um, what's the other thing I was going to say? Oh, the, the Whirling in Rags song that plays like when you leave that... The thing that you are tired of hearing at this point. Mm-hmm. That that is a British Sea Power song too. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm I'm sure several other things are too, but those are both very very recognizable. Gotcha. Uh, 
but uh but yeah well cool yeah i never went and did karaoke but uh how did you uh did you clear out this church or what's the story yeah so once once i had the key i was able to get in there and uh it's spook it's very you know when you walk in you get a little uh thought reaction like a little orb and the orb is like you better walk around here there's a revenance about the place there's a lot of heaviness and there's some cool bowls of water on the ground and when you stand in the middle of them every like it's like uh sound gets canceled out in some way and you're suspecting maybe it has to do with the architecture of the church that you're standing in like a dead zone of some kind and uh you know kim gets a little freaked out by that too and when you walk to the back of the church i make this perception check to be like there's something on the ceiling and when i notice it the camera zooms out and uh there is like a person crawling around up there in the rafters Mm -hmm. Uh, and this person is named tiago and i have a conversation with tiago what did Did you you make tiago did you make the perception check so you don't have to make the perception check which is weird oh interesting what happens if you don't make the uh perception check so i made the check and failed and uh so it zooms so it zooms out anyway and then it like blinks and then comes back and then chiago is just hanging out there so i don't Mm -hmm. really know what the difference is between making and not making as far as like outcome is concerned you might have did you see anything at like the top did i see anything at the top yeah other than than dude crawling around yeah i no, I didn't see anything other than the person. I made gotcha. the perception check. It zoomed out, and then that like transition. There might have been an even a little screen fade um, to a new conversation I was having with him. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know what the the difference between failing and success is there, but yes, I ended up having a conversation with Crabman Tiago. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something. You know, this this is what what happens when you like start compressing people together and start compressing real world ethnicities and accents. Into- there is this is I, I was wondering if you were going to mention this. There is something bizarre happening vis a vis this game's like uh, depiction of the fictional yet overlaid race slash ethnicity of Mesk or na- na- nation. <laughs> perhaps of mask yeah because we have already met i would say probably the most the standout character uh in terms of uh someone who is identified as mess that we've met was i forget the name of the woman but one of the lorry driver who uh mm-hmm. is kind of like um in nostalgia thinking about uh, back to her you know, young adulthood or or adolescence and going to the movies and kind of like there's very much this kind of Civil War Spain vibe Mm -hmm. that's happening. Yeah, 100%. And so when I saw that and I saw Mesk, I was like, oh, I think this game is doing something like with Mesk is spelled with this Q. It looks a little bit like Basque. Mm -hmm. And I I was like, oh, so we're we're evoking Spain here. That's Mm -hmm. what Mesk is doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, uh, and then we also have Call Me Manana. Yes, Call Me Manana, who uh, who also, there's definitely the accent, uh, seems very like Spanish Spain, right? Yeah, it, it, he seems like, you know, Spanish Civil Warrior, but, mm-hmm. but you know, a fighter yeah. of, of that, or, you know, some sort of enforcer that is from there. And Tiago is also Mesk, 
but his voice is a um, Southern California Mexican gang member. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that uh, the Wikipedia article, which I leaned on last episode, mm-hmm. calls this Chicano English. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, com- <laughs> completely do a real curveball here. Yeah, I mean, uh, he uh, that you know, it, he has all the vocal. I, I wouldn't even say it's necessarily accent, but it's the vocal affectations, right? Of mm-hmm. uh, the 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 way the sentences are put together in this kind of like, I mean, he sounds like Cheech Marin. <laughs> like, yeah. it, if you were to ask me to do a Cheech Marin impression, which I mm-hmm. would not do, if you asked me to do, but but if so, I would come up with something very similar to Chiago. Yeah, and it's beyond uh, accent; it's also dialect because he's throwing in uh, Spanish words. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, as he's addressing the character, so I don't know what this is doing, and and it really I- complicates like my understanding of like the of what the game is like, cause the game's trying to use real world references to kind of fill in some of the gaps and maybe spark your imagination about what characters uh, mean and how they relate to the geopolitics of the world. And that was done pretty successfully with call me manana and the lorry driver. It, it, it like evoked something of the Spanish civil war and it kind of like uh, situated those characters somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what this character is doing. I think it really complicates my understand my understanding. Well, it seems like you know, and I don't. It, impossible to know intent here, right? We can only talk about what the you know what the product in front of us looks like. But mm-hmm. to to me, Tiago entirely reads like a very common trope, which is like Latino stuff as comedy. Mm-hmm. Which, which is like wouldn't it be funny if this crab man who's crawling around and we find out a lot of weird and interesting stuff about him but wouldn't it yeah. be funny if he was like a latino dude and like that's the joke yeah because that's the thing is i think that with the lorry driver there is a emotional resonance to to like attempting to connect the assumptions i have about her accent and her life experiences and it like it like piggybacks the um the spanish civil war and like meshes it with each other that's Mm -hmm. a big move this game makes is it like it basically uses as a lever real world analogs to fill in the blanks and you can you know i think that there's criticism you can even have about that move right yeah absolutely Um, and we've and we've talked about it vis-a-vis race and like kind of the things it is i don't yeah it's really tempting i think that uh it's hard to come up with a charitable read because it does just feel like this is comedic relief. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it feels like it's a setup and a joke. Uh, you know, the, the 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 accent and his ethnicity, and particularly because this is the only person with this kind of SoCal uh, accent, right? Um, mm-hmm. It just feels like a, a joke. It feels like a setup and a punchline. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, it feels like wouldn't it be funny if? Yeah. Um, and it also, like, I think that that's bad enough, but it also, like, the thing is, when you're t- when you're trying to use these analogs to make the story richer, the idea that the accent that Tiago is, is giving us uh, 
is is like being called the same word mm-hmm. that mesk as um the Spaniards we met before that are evoking the Spanish Civil War. Well, my brain is immediately going, these are two so the these the cultural milieus here are so radically different it makes no sense for anybody. Yeah, the only connection between them is they speak the same language and they speak the same language. Or they they might speak the same language. Mm-hmm. Uh and the only connection between that is colonialism, right? Yeah. Like yeah. like the this this is the the what you what uh the kind of real world compression that you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of importation of ideas what it buys you is resonance with the real world what it takes away from from you is that when those resonances don't quite work or don't make sense at all it compl- the house of cards tumbles absolutely it's kind of what we were talking about last time with seolites too right yeah. like the the idea that like all the east asians are kind of the same right which is the kind of compression that's happening here that kind of works in some ways um but also completely falls apart when you when you when you think about the real world racial resonances that that has, that completely falls apart. And I, you know, to to say too, right, that there's a pretty clear difference. Let me let me back up and, and maybe say it more more directly. Mm-hmm. The compression that is happening with Seolite and the compression that's happening with Mesk and the compression that's happening with Samarin, right, which is taking. Um, uh, very disparate, radically disparate cultures and then compressing them together is, I think, different than what's happening with something like Europe, right? Whereas, mm-hmm. like, these, like, the Caribbean gets compressed into Samarin, and there's all kinds of different, obviously, in the real Caribbean, lots of different things going on there. And in East Asia, right, between, uh, you know, China, Korea, and Japan, radically radically different stuff going on there and with mesk as as we're talking about here and what kind of got us going is that spain and southern california are massively different cultures right Mm -hmm. in a thousand different ways and what is unfortunate to me here is that in fact european culture quote-unquote european culture gets a lot of decompression in some ways right mm-hmm. uh the the old old world right oranye gets yeah, to yeah. be this kind of eastern european place konigstein gets to be central europe uh martinez and or revachal gets to be uh the kind of french so so there's not where uh where ethnicities and cultures uh, and and nationalities are being compressed in racialized ways across the world, right? Our real world versions are being compressed in this fictional world in very particular kind of ways. The same thing's not happening to European culture here. So, like, can I give a uh, let me let me be a um, a bit of a devil's advocate and be like hyper generous here? Mm-hmm. I think we should be hyper generous, but yeah. but I think that mm-hmm. like top down, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a disjuncture here. Uh, could this game be doing this to mimic the way real world colonialism and racism works, which is basically like a um, a racial or national uh, mercator p- projection, right? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. Europe gets really expanded, everything else gets really contracted, and in some ways, that's kind of how racism works: is it, it creates a bunch of like really arbitrary lines. Uh, on on the on the fringe on the on the outside mm-hmm. and oh so many rich distinctions right mm-hmm. on on the inside uh sure 
<laughs> I, I mean, yes. <laughs> Being as, that is as generous as I can be, right? I that, think that, that, that the game is making commentary about that. I think if it's doing that, then I think, again, most generous, I think that might be the intent, right? And I think actually maybe even to double down on that, I think the argument being implicitly made here is that uh, we often conflate Europeanness, especially in the United States. Europeanness is one thing when obviously it's also different cultures in different places, right? And mm-hmm. to and, and this game is creating alignments uh, between like a French perspective and then a central European perspective. And then is making the claim that uh, Eastern Europe, right, is its own cultural identity in the mm-hmm. same way that, um, you know, East Asia is a different cultural identity in a, in the broadest strokes possible. I think the idea here is that Irani is a different kind of thing and the real world analog is a different kind of thing. I think that if, you know, whatever the intent is there, there could be more uh, maneuvering of it. There could be more context. There could be more talking about that. Um, you know, I, I the game wants the structure to do a lot of work sometimes and zero work in other times. And when it's in the, the difference between those two axioms almost is and it very wants you to pay the exact amount of attention that it wa- that it wants you to pay. It, and it doesn't exactly. want you. To, it doesn't want you to pay more attention when it's when it's uh, skating over it, and uh, it doesn't want you to have fleeting attention when it wants to go into it. It, it. it does require a lot of cooperation. Exactly, and I think that if you start thinking about it across the board, things get really weird. Which mm-hmm. is not to say that in the real world things aren't really weird. Obviously, things are really weird. Um, you know, and we're, I'm we're, against it. You hate it. You, I hate you know, it. That's, um, you, you tell me all the time. I hate it. Yeah, I, I'm, I almost regret Jill Stein winning the referendum to delay to the election because I would love to just, just see that on the ballot so I could vote against it. Yeah, you want that to be normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I, I think that's a that that is a long conversation to get us to the point of, um, which is just dis- discomfort on our part between the idea of compressing <laughs> Southern yeah. Californian culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, into mess culture, yeah, or into Spanish culture, into into this mesk form. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It feels weird. It feels like a joke. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot about uh, this video. I think it was a video that Paul Tamayo did, mm-hmm. uh, who who was guested on um, uh, on a secret let's play that that is on the Range Touch channel. You have to subscribe to know. You have to subscribe to the Patreon to know. But, uh, you know, Paul did, a, I think it was a video about this game called Call Me Pedro, like a couple years ago. And at the beginning, Paul was just like, you know, that name. Like, what? What? It, why is this Call Me Pedro? And the impl- implicitly here being like, this is just a joke. Like, that, that the name Pedro and th- this, like, you know, uh, Latino stamp on top is meant to be a joke. That's exactly how this voice feels to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like it is meant to be a punchline and not to be character building. And he's also like a construction worker. Oh, I didn't get to that. Yeah. So Chiago ends up becoming crab man, right? He ends up being this like, you know, uh, I don't know, spectral shadowy figure in the rafters because he worked construction here. Um, uh, sometime back. We don't really know. He worked at construction in this uh, church and he became fascinated with this like silence in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And he eventually gave up like all of his humanness to worship the thing in the ceiling mm-hmm. uh, because the shoes that you can find here, I think implicitly are his shoes. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that they have the word banger in them. Yeah. Either that or another article of clothing. There's two article of clothing you can find here that has like mesk. And one yep. has mesk banger, which is uh, obviously trying to like triangulate his accent and gang banger. So it's like, oh, the, yeah. I, did not, I, didn't, I didn't even put that together. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's even harder to be charitable now, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. and all the stuff too about the the cartels. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on here that uh, around. I don't get to the cartels all. So I think I fail like a check to, or I don't have a passive to like get his backstory. Basically, oh, oh I didn't get anything about with him for the cartels, but cartels are going to show up later in this uh, in this episode. So for you, yep. Oh, not. oh yeah, maybe, maybe not for you. <laughs> um okay uh so yeah anyways uh, you you talk to him i talk to him and he um tries to get tries to bring me to sobriety he does a little bit of the measure head stuff but maybe a little bit nicer about it oh Um, yeah i don't i I wouldn't even call it measure head stuff he just explicitly says to me hey man it seems like you have an alcohol problem and you should think about that and Uh, i'm I'm telling you directly that you have an alcohol problem did you uh did you think about it I, I tried to, but I couldn't. That was the weird thing. Oh no! I think that I got a thought thought uh, thing for it, but I believe I finished the game before the thought thing finished. Uh, a thought cabinet thing. Yeah. Yeah, but there. I think you can get that two places. You can get it from Measurehead if you're if you like uh, agree with Measurehead, and you can get it from him. Mm. Um, and and that's like getting your sobriety back, I suppose. But yeah, he he just lives here. Um, he uh, he's almost a non-human figure and i think that this silence in the church is kind of he triangulates with dolores day who uh the church is who's kind of like the figure of the this church um i guess kind of the christ-like figure right well I think she's related to it with him it's it seems bound together he he seems to say that Mm-hmm. We we have two contested theories about what is happening in this church. Mm-hmm. One, one is, from, is religious. One is re- explicitly religious. And he says, look, there's like a silence in the universe up in the top of this thing. And I feed on it. You know, I circle it in the ceiling and I feed on it. And one day, hopefully, I'll be able to like transcend enough to like go inside of it mm-hmm. and like really sample it. And he keeps calling it like the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and... We're going to hear a competing narrative about this in just a minute. But yeah, for yeah. him it is religious, and he is associating it with this big-ass uh, mural on the wall of Dolores Day, who is kind of like a little bit of like Mother Mary um, for this Im- for the moral intern, the moralists. Mm-hmm. Um, she's kind of their Christ figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's as if... Yeah, you're exactly right. Um <sighs> So yeah, I, I I basically talk to him and I ask him, hey, would you be okay if if these uh, these kids started a club in here and did the electronic music? They have like a specific name for it. it starts with an A. Anotic. Anotic. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, that's fine, no problem. Yeah. Uh, and I there's also on the other side of the church near the uh, portrait. You're able to interact with the stained glass portrait that that kind of dominates the church, and I am compelled to kneel before it. It's an hmm. option I choose. I, I, in the moment, I just chose one, and I I kneeled and closed my eyes. And I did see that uh, Kim crossed himself. 
uh, as we kind of stood before it. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any interactions with, nope. the, with the portrait? No. I don't even think I could click on it. Oh, interesting. Um, I went to the machine, and there was a machine there that was very similar to the machine we saw in the doomed commercial district. It's that kind of radio internet thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is explicitly a radio computer. Yeah, it's a radio computer that can access this universe's version of the internet, which are just kind of like these radio waves. And I call it up and the operator is there because in order to like enter a password on this network, it basically all everything's mediated through human beings mm-hmm. that uh that you know you can read a password to. I don't know the password but I go back to Tiago and I ask him if he's ever heard the password. And he says, yes, it's uh, life after death, I think, or death after life. You remember? Yeah, it's like after life, death. After life, comma, death. I think that's it. Yeah. And uh, I'm able to go back and uh, I can read like some logs of a, of a person who is staying here. And it, it seems like they are like probing this anomaly. And as I'm getting towards the end of the logs... Uh, Suna walks in. I believe that's their name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this person has what in the real world I would probably peg as like a Scandinavian accent, maybe a Swedish accent. And uh, Suna has uh, is like all business and is like, "Hey, you're you're messing with my computer." Yeah, please I think do, she's please a stop fin. doing that. I think she. Mm-hmm. I think she's Finnish. Mm-hmm. That makes that tracks. Uh, and. Yeah, she, uh, we're able to like ask her some questions. She's a little standoffish at first, but we're able to ask some questions about kind of what's going on here. And I also ask her, hey, would you be okay uh, with these, you know, these kids moving in? They want to start a dance club. And she's like, they don't want to start a dance club. And I was like, well, of course they do. That's what they, that's what they said they want to do. Yeah. And she's well, like, I you, trust need to, them. you need to go back and you need to have a chat with them see what's really going on so i go back and uh and uh is that more or less how your conversation went with her uh yeah uh Mm -hmm. well so we were able to get a little bit more information i'm going to shortcut some of this because a lot of this is just going back and forth yeah um I'll, i'll let you i'll let you talk about what they're actually trying to do but the the upshot of suna's entire conversation is that Mm -hmm. her her deal yeah. Is that she was, I believe, a programmer for mm-hmm. Fortress, Fortress Accident. Yeah, Fortress Accident, which is the um, video Memorpager. game. Yeah, yes. Yeah, the Radio Memorpager <laughs> uh, company. And so she needs, she wants us to go back to that company to get the off, uh, off-site backup for the game that was not actually off-site. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. because uh, she explains to us, if you like talk to it, to uh, talk to her enough, you find out that the reason that Fortress Accident failed is that they were trying to make a four million dollar game with four hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> like yeah. that was the number one problem. Mm-hmm. And the the big issue behind it is they had a, a, a feature called the Valley of 100, I think 100,000 heads that had uh, 100,000 different celebrity voice actors that could be combined with 100,000 bodies and that each individual one of those 
combinations would create different characters that you could talk to. And so those would all be actually voiced and then accessed through this radio system. So it's like literally impossible. It's this, and, <laughs> the, and the computer can literally spit out to you the number of combinations of bodies that that will produce. And it takes like three full minutes to spit out the numbers. Um, it's really funny to click on. I'll, I'll, I'll include the video here. <laughs> Uh, my description is going to take less time than than it takes to to do this, but to scroll through, yeah, to scroll through. But and she gives you her pry bar, which is very convenient and useful, and it allows us. Remember, we talked all the way back about that ice cream maker. Mm-hmm. It allows us to go and break open the ice cream maker and get this off offsite back back up. Yep. But the the reason she wants it is that the day that they were working to, uh, I think, upload there or you know um um install or something it's kind of unclear how the com- computation here works but they were mm-hmm. transmitting their data to repeater stations yeah. for this video game or this whatever radio game and it ran into something that basically ate it it deleted all the data yeah all the information got zapped and it was no more mm-hmm. it, like it was being transmitted it was everything was fine and then it disappeared, which is not something that should happen. No. It should go somewhere. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so uh, she wants the offsite backup, which is also broken in some way, but so she can compare the data for dot, 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 question mark. I don't, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. It's also not very clear to me, even though I read this whole conversation. Sure. Um, she attributes this whole thing to a thing she calls the swallow, which is in this church. And she says, basically, what happened is that these radio waves ran into this thing called the Swallow, and it ate them. Yeah. And she says it's a hole in the universe that just eats things up. It's like a two, Mm -hmm. she says it's a two millimeter hole. This is the thing that Tiago is like worshiping slash is being transformed by. Mm -hmm. So there is a hole in the universe in this church that is like sucking things into it indiscriminately and, and namely according to suna this is a hole that can be measured because she's saying mm-hmm. it's two millimeters and tested and probed and listened so to these are the two competing understandings of the phenomena exactly right? the so religious like the, and the scientific exactly and ultimately they agree on on it in some ways right mm-hmm. for suna it's a big problem for tiago it's it's awesome i guess even yeah. though it is eating his humanity it might not be good for him in a general sense mm. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what his life was like before. But yeah, um, long story short, there is a way in order to advance this question. You mentioned at the beginning uh, that this is super linear when it comes down mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. A couple of things have to happen. And for me, I think that the bottlenecks are you the or the bottleneck is that there comes a point where you get the filament and she triangulates the exact position and the idea is you listen to it to kind of like discern what it is. Mm-hmm. And she puts the headphones on is like, I can't hear anything. There is a white check for you to be able to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And it is off of your perception score. And if you pass that, you realize, oh, the issue is your your audio equipment is not like amplified enough mm-hmm. in order to hear it. Mm-hmm. So that is like the one bottleneck to like you. You, I think you just straight up have to pass that perception check to get through this. Is there another way to do it? Uh, let me give you mm-hmm. a, something that's even more of a bummer than this. Okay, I get to this check and I fail it mm-hmm. because I don't have good motorics. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't, can't hear very well. Okay, fine. 
I can still ascertain that there's something wrong and maybe I could improve it. Like, you know, not not with my perception, but like mechanically here. Okay. Something's wrong with the, the headphones or whatever. I can go and talk to the music dudes mm-hmm. and I can say, hey, you know, there's something going on here. Do you, what do you think? And they can say, oh, yeah, she can use our amplifier to boost the sound. Oh. I can't tell her that without yeah. passing mm. the perception check. So I can do their side and have a way of uh, solving it, but I cannot communicate that information to her without passing this check. This feels like an oversight. It feels like they they engineered a backdoor and they just forgot to add a handle to it. Yeah, it, yeah, it feels like a flag uh, problem here. Maybe this will get fixed in the you know Final Cut edition or whatever it's called, the the new edition that will probably be out by the time people are hearing this. So mm-hmm. maybe this is fixed. But so I am hard locked here. In the sense of uh, my per- perception is one, mm. so I just can't. It's and it's a hard check, and so yeah. I just can't do it. So I, I actually saved my game. I put my point in, saved again, and then tried to save scum it a couple times just to get through it. And I, I had ended up having to do this for a couple things here at the end, mm. uh, where I just didn't have enough experience points and, and enough like open quests to go and and get more levels. Mm. Um, I think shifting things around in my thought catalog so much has actually really hurt me in this playthrough because I didn't have any issues with spare skill points my, in the first time I played this game. But that's because you disregarded the thought cabinet altogether. Basically, yeah. Mm. Um, you know, I only used it once or twice. So, it, uh, it, yeah. yeah. So this is as far as I got. That's all to say. Oh, wow. You didn't mm-hmm. get further. Nope. This is it. Okay. Well, uh, it turns out um, the kids are actually, while their long-term goal is to make a club, their short-term goal is to just produce drugs out of this church. Yeah, they want to make speed. Um, Which I'm down with. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, all the power to you. And I tell, um, I think we do have to haggle down in some way with uh, Suna. Like, she's really not down with the making drugs, and I can't remember what how it happens exactly but eventually like the upshot is you get them to uh you get them to loan the equipment they loan the equipment to suna and that she gets ready for the test and you know eggheads you know playing some music and everybody's chilling out and uh eventually you can plug in uh suna's equipment to their audio equipment to their speakers and all hell breaks loose. The whole church starts like shaking, like uh, the the silence is being magnified, and it's this horrific like hell opening sound. And I am just shouting as like it's beautiful. Keep going. And like soon as like I think that reality is about to tear itself apart, and I say let's do it. Let's go. Let's tear it apart. <laughs> and uh, at the last, and I was very interested to see what would happen in the last. Thing where the last audio, the last kind of dialogue option you have is you can tell Egghead, whatever you do, don't disconnect it or Egghead disconnect it now. And in the, my last playthrough, I told him disconnect it now. So in this playthrough, I said, whatever you do, Egghead, do not disconnect it. Hmm. He disconnects it no matter what. Ah. Yeah. He disconnects it no matter what. Suna uh, records it. And gets a reading and gets, like, enough data that she can send it out and, like, have it analyzed and, like, more fully understand what this phenomena is. Mm-hmm. And uh, the quest kind of ends. Hmm. Um, there is a, 
you do have the opportunity to name their club and you have a couple of options and i think that two of one of them is the title of the game disco elysium which they liked and the other i think is the tide the working title of the game early which is like the furies are here or something along those lines yeah mhm uh i think it was kind of like an early name of the game but yeah just, it was the name for like two or three years mm-hmm. this game's um, been in development a long time yeah this was like 10 years right uh i don't i i know Kurvitz was working on all this stuff for at least that long like mm-hmm. the lore i mean he wrote a novel that's set in this universe mm. i don't think it's tr- i don't think it's in english though otherwise i would i would read it if it is in english please someone let me know but i don't think mm-hmm. it is um in any case i named the club and I really regret it, but I think that I could have um, danced there. Oh. But I didn't. I went and did something else. And by the time I came back, it was too late. Because now that we have completed this quest, mm-hmm. uh, the la- the next thing we did is uh, basically... We, we actually do something <laughs> in the main quest. In, in accordance with my uh, thesis at the beginning of the episode, we haven't done anything yet. And this is kind of the inflection point where stuff starts happening and it starts happening real fast. Mm-hmm. So in any case, how about that wall? Only uh, let me say one thing uh, sure. at the end. You were all about them making speed. Yeah. I told them, hey, I'm going to arrest you if you, or actually, I'm going to kick you out and make you leave. Oh, wow. If you make speed. Hmm. But if you really want to have a club, you can do that, but you can't make speed. And Egghead was super excited about that. Oh. Uh, basically, the the implication is that he, he stopped yelling and he actually like said some real stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a maybe a visual calculus check that he's almost my age. And so, the, the, yeah, the implication being that he, that in the same way that this case is kind of an opportunity for Harry Dubois to kind of get his shit together and, you know, um, kind of come back together out of whatever, you know, kind of breaking point that he was at. Get some insight. Yeah. Um, that, that this is, that this club actually being real and not just being kind of a, a, a front, sh- a front for making methamphetamine. Uh, that that similar thing might happen for Egghead. Mm. But I couldn't do it, so who cares? Uh, so yeah, that wall. Yeah, so, the wall. The the um, the plot wall? Yeah, I don't so know it, how you want to call this. Yeah, it's the plot wall. So um, this, this game, you can look all over for Ruby. Sure. You can look up and down the universe. I talked to everyone I could talk to about it. Mm-hmm. So I talked to Titus. I talked to the washerwoman. I talked to all of these people. And basically, it's like, yes, she's been here. I actually went back and found that bullet, by the way, um, that, you, that you were telling me about. Oh, yeah. So we're looking for all this kind of stuff and no dice. And you can't get in anywhere. So, But the um, big sign that Trant is looking at with his son, Michael, Um. It's it's this big felled electronic sign, and you can look at it, and there's a shivers check you can make. Yes. It's very hard. Very hard. This shivers check is like, it requires a 20, I believe. Mm-hmm. And you can get, for every, qu- okay, well, actually, sorry, let me, let me back up. 
It's a big shivers check. It's very clear that it's difficult. And if you fail it, the game says, you know what? You're just kind of grasping at straws. You need to do as many quests as you can in this part of the city mm-hmm. in order to figure out what to do next. So basically, sure. or, and Kim Kitsuragi tells you that. So basically the game's like, hey, just go do a bunch of side content and then come back to this. Mm-hmm. For each, there's like six or seven different things you can do. And for each of those, it will increase your shiver score by plus two on this check. So basically the game is saying, go and complete the game and then come back here and then you can go and find Ruby. Yes. It's annoying as shit. <laughs> I got uh, so so last night I was playing this and we had talked about you know beforehand behind the curtain a little bit here mm-hmm. um, you know we are recording these last three episodes all in one whack mm-hmm. for for the last thing and so I spent all of my Saturday Saturday evening last mm-hmm. night from eight thirty or so nine o'clock mm-hmm. maybe now nah, maybe a little bit maybe like nine thirty mm-hmm. nine thirty until one thirty a.m. playing this game. And that was mostly just playing the game like normal. I spent a lot of time walking around trying to figure out if I could complete that that mm-hmm. church quest, let me tell you. Like a lot of time. And so I get to the shivers check. And I've already gone through all the stuff of being like, oh shit, I don't have enough side content to do to increase my uh, perception score. What am I going to do? So I get to the shivers check and I'm really out of luck. Because it's the same problem. I have mm. a white check. It's failed. All of the quests that I haven't completed that would help with the shivers check are gated by white qu- by by white checks that I can't reattempt. Oh no! So so I sent you a message at like one thirty in the morning. <laughs> I think I'm soft locked. <laughs> basically, I think yes. I cannot do the last episode because yes. And so I was like, I think that I might not be able to complete the game. And then I go like looking on the internet, and I was like, oh, there's got to be a way around this. And then I'm finding that this is a common problem. Like there's all kinds of like threads on the internet of people trying to figure out what the hell to do here. You straight up must succeed this check twice in order to beat the game. No, you only have to do it one time. At least for me. Uh, I I found this wall uh, two episodes ago. Mm -hmm. Went up to it, had a 72% chance to succeed, succeeded then had another 72% chance to succeed, succeed, and I was like, Kim, Ruby's here. <laughs> didn't do a single side quest, didn't have any pluses to it. That's very funny. I uh, could have beaten I, this game two episodes ago. Yeah, I, uh, so so my only option here, I was like, okay, I will spend 10 minutes trying to do this. And if not, we will postpone. I mean, I, you know, I sent you the discord message. And I was like, look, we might not be able to record this last episode. <laughs> like I might end up having to like reload an earlier save or something and like try to complete the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but no, so I, I, I had one floating skill point, mm-hmm. right? It's the one that I didn't use to do the, the church quest. And I had like a 17% chance and I increased that because I found a scarf that gives me plus one to shivers. And then I like mm-hmm. got in the wiki. I was like, what, what clothing items can I like go around and collect to Dang. increase my shivers? There's just one, by the way. So I went and found it. <laughs> so I went and got that and I put it on. It gave me like a 20% chance. So I just like, I was like, I'll spend 10 minutes doing this and then I'm going to bed no matter what. And so I like saved my game and save scummed it two or three times and then got it on like the fifth try. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, 20%, I guess, is, you know, mm-hmm, one in mm-hmm. five. So it did work out. But yeah. 
But if they, this is a bad feeling. It's a bad feeling to not be able to complete multiple quests in this game and then to get to something that is the only check that matters. It's the only check that matters in the whole game, like mechanically, and not be able to do anything about it. It's, it is the a massive... I think it's a problem and, with the game. It's wild because there are other checks in the game that we're going to get to. Um at the end of this episode, I think, and mm -hmm. uh, next episode, that you can fail, and the game keeps chugging, mm -hmm. right? It, like, takes that failure into account, and it's like, okay, well, this is what happens. Uh, and there are plenty of checks like this in side quests of, like, if you want to complete the side quests, you need to get this white check. This is the only moment in the game, I think, where the game just locks, locks up. Yeah. Right? I guess maybe getting the hanged man's corpse down, like that's just okay. You got to get the check, right? Yeah, but that's so early in the. I, the difference is that's so mm -hmm. early in the game that you have so many opportunities to retry that, like you yeah. know. And there's actually way a bunch of different strategies, right? There's the shooting it down stuff. There's like getting Kim to shoot it down versus you shooting it down. There's the conversations that you can have to boost it, right? Like there's a and lot I, of different. It methods. might even be that you can eventually talk to Claire, like if you run out. I don't know if he helps you. Yeah, I don't know either. Mm -hmm. But no, that's a huge bummer. And it is a huge difference between me that just goes up to a building and is like, she's in here. Yeah. And the first time that I played the game, I had a very similar situation to you or experience where I had put several points into shivers uh, mm -hmm. because it's cool. In, in the same way that, that my first playthrough, I put a bunch of points in the Inland Empire because it's, it's cool. super cool. Yeah. And ultimately that ended up benefiting me a lot at the end of the game too. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I don't know, like it, it, it enraged me. <laughs> um, I like felt emotions I've never felt before of disappointment and unhappiness. And I Even guess worse if it is than that one time on the PVP Minecraft server where they took all your diamonds. We had our little hidden area and just somebody came down and just got that's, us. Yeah, that's that's uh oh yeah, I remember that was like the first days of Minecraft having servers. Wow, what a time. Yeah, that was a bummer. But uh no, this is way worse than that. Wow. I'm, literally the thought that went through my mind is this is my torment tides of Newman era. <laughs> it, oh, no. it was so distressing after spending so much time and being up so late. And also I'd spent all day like working outside. So I was really tired. Yeah. I was like at the edge, just like purely the end of my like emotional and mental rope as far as like my capability to deal with this. And it, I was literally like, I don't know if I care about playing this game anymore. Um, you know, which obviously is not an indictment of this game, but I do think this is a huge problem that that the whole game comes into this pinch point that if everything is firing all cylinders, probably works awesome. But if things are not firing all on all cylinders, is a huge bummer. Um, no, there's no re. I think that there's no reason for the game. Like, there needs to be a critical number of side quests, and once you get to okay, you've done four side quests, it needs to be an auto succeed. Yeah, because the other, uh, so other quests, I, you know, obviously I looked it up to, to see what I could do here. Uh, one of the quests is to talk on the phone enough times, because uh, there's like, you know, the telephone that everyone's telling you about that's on the coast. You mm -hmm. can go use it several times in a row. Uh, lo and behold, there is an interfacing check there. White check, failed it, couldn't, couldn't reattempt it. Uh, you can hear the end of Lena's story, which you were able to do, right? Mm -hmm. The end of her story being that um, she's not sure if the uh, phasmid is real or not. Mm -hmm. Couldn't get there. A white check that I couldn't reattempt. 
Um, yeah, so there were several that I just couldn't couldn't do anything about, and mm-hmm. uh, it was it, it was a huge bummer. I, I will say this: by the time that you know, I want to I want to have the, the nice caveat. Um, by the time that people are able to listen to this, I think the final version of this game will be out. I cannot imagine a world in which this is not reconfigured or altered in some way, or at least expanded in some way by the additional quests that are in that final cut. I yeah. can't think of this. I can't think of a revision of this game existing that does not address this in some way. Because the white check also gets unlocked every time you do one of the modifier quests, right? Ooh, I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. I didn't have the opportunity to, to test that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I don't know. But, but we no. we got through it. We got we got through it. And uh, once I knew that she was inside, I teleported up. <laughs> I also teleported up. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's actually so. So I was actually really glad. So what I did is I I got that check, and no joke, I just saved my game and went to bed. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to keep playing this. I'm just going to turn it off, and I'll wake up in the morning before we record, and then I'll start fresh, and I'll feel better about it. Sure. And, and I'll I'll be honest with you, doing teleporting as my first action I really did improve my demeanor and mm. made me feel a lot more positive about the game because because it's a huge bummer followed by something that's very very funny. Yeah, uh, the the most the, so you basically say, Kim, I'm going to teleport up there, and Kim's like, you can't do that. <laughs> and um, the man whose name I forgot, the uh, Trant, the, tra- oh my god, Trant, um, Trant Heidelstein, Trant's, like, Trant's like talking to his son, and he's like, yeah, teleportation is uh, for the most part thought to be impossible. <laughs> He's a good sport about it. Trans, trans, great. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just close your eyes, and the and the screen goes dark, and uh, zip, zap, zoom. It's like the text you see, and then you're up there. Yeah, and I think during that you could be like, Kim, I'm doing it. Yes. <laughs> I'm teleporting. <laughs> and Kim, just after you get up there, Kim says, "For the record, you just closed your eyes and then jumped up there." <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh no, it's actually Trant in the middle of that who says, "Oh my God, he's doing it." <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Um, yeah, it's good. It's it's a uh, it's a funny little moment, and uh, you get up to the building, and basically you can go down, and you find an entrance to like allow kim to re become reunited with you i don't know what happens if you try to like go deeper into the complex without kim i don't know either yeah but we get kim there's a little hideout down here um looks like there was some revolutionary activity in here at some point but long story short you get to a point in this cave system underneath feld electronics uh or feld electrical that kim says hey if we take another step here it's kind of like the path of no return. And th- and this is the game telling you you are about to initiate the end of the game. That's really funny. I did Kim didn't tell me that. I got a uh, like an inland empire warning and and oh. I was able to warn Kim. I was like there's danger here, Kim. Uh, oh, that's interesting. So yeah, Kim told me, "Hey, you need to you need to watch out." We turn the corner and we get a death raid. It's like an Elrad. Like an LRAD, like a, or like a crowd control sonic device. Yeah, that is an LRAD. Oh, okay. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just know them by their by my informal experience, and not by uh, <laughs> and not and not by any kind of uh, theoretical orientation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, uh, but yeah, you're getting hit by that, and uh, Ruby's there. Ruby's She's there. there, and uh, she's she, controlling the device. Yeah, and she just starts telling you some stuff. 
she does the big villain stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And here's the thing. I don't find any of it out because I just do a red check to knock the thing over. So, yeah. Here's something weird. I I hear her whole villain monologue. It's all right. I guess not a villain monologue. She she kind of isn't really a villain, but she no, explains she the, the whole the she, whole shit to me. Yeah, she explains the technology, and she also explains like I guess she doesn't really explain, but she references the pale, which is like I don't have a full understanding of it because my the, character doesn't understand it. Well, so the pale is uh, th- this is my this is my best understanding of the pale. I think we've talked about this a little bit before. And I'll try to say this briefly. Uh, mm-hmm. So. There are isolas in the world, right, which are like these continents. And in between them is the pale, like uncharted space. Hmm. And this ray that she has is, and it's like destructive, it's annihilative. And this ray that she has is the kind of thing that was used by like the explorers, you know, quote unquote, right, to project, to turn, um, undifferentiated mass space right just like this this non-existence into strided mapped space so it's like a thing that projects in front of you and turns nothingness into something that can be navigated and moved through it converts the fog of war basically (laughs) it converts the fog of war into navigable space right and so that's what was you know that's what's used for navigational mechanisms right and she is using these frequencies, you know, basically it's these transformative frequencies to just blast you with them mm. and turning your, you know, undifferentiated or your chaotic human nature in, in rigidifying it. Right. So that's like how it works. Right. So it's not like a nail rad in the sense that it's not overwhelming you um, auditorily or whatever. Right. It's it, overwhelming you on like a metaphysical level. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's, it's I, probably a red warning sticker on there. It's not good. Oh, you're not supposed to build them. I think it's pretty clear that, <laughs> yeah. that she's she's got this on her own and she's been building it and, and getting ready. And and we know she's been working on these things because we found that in her um, uh, what you call it in her lorry that mm-hmm. she abandoned. But uh, but yeah, I also did that. I had a red check with a very low chance of success, and I was like, I'm going to smash this goddamn machine. I had a really high uh, chance of success, and I smashed the machine. Yeah. So did you not- succeed too? Oh yeah, hell yeah, I did. And uh, so I smashed it, and she puts a gun to her head. I have a check to try to talk her down. I fail. She shoots herself. I find no out no information from from ruby alive yeah i have a similar experience okay because exact same thing happens turns the gun on herself i say uh, i get a bunch of stuff so rhetoric drama oh my god i had nothing i had one red check i I didn't have any other tools to like try to talk her down no these are like automatic successes you know like like and they're like giving me advice they're Mm. like here's what you need to do and it's, it basically says, look, you need to talk her down, which, of course, like, thanks. Thanks, brain. Mm-hmm. Helpful. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to say, hold on just a minute now. And I get to that point. And I basically have two, two options. I can say, look, put the gun down and go. Just leave. Whatever. Or I could say, look, I, you know, put the gun down. I, we have to take you in. 
Like, that's our only option. I've been playing a super straight-laced cop. Yeah. And so I, I, I kind of agonized over a little bit because I was like, you know, this is going to be difficult. You, you know, in, in the sense of like, I don't think this is objectively the right thing, but I think she will just run away. And I, that's not a good outcome here. For a cop. For a cop, yeah, I mean, maybe in like in a general sense, but for the way that I've been playing this game and, you know... It's I not like, an acceptable outcome yeah, for the exactly. cop. Exactly. It's, it's not an acceptable outcome. And so I said, we got to take you in. And yeah, and then she shot herself. Okay. So I also didn't learn anything, but I got there in a different different way. Yeah, and you can get her journal... And uh, from this little chamber, you you decide you, you know, you and Kim um, kind of preserve her body in her tent to get picked up later. And uh, you you read the journal. And I, I gather from the journal that she was not responsible for the death, that while she claimed responsibility for staging it, she got frightened because she knew staging it was a crime uh, she felt like she was a natural like suspect, so that's why she went in hiding. So after I read the journal, I kind of came to the conclusion, nah, it, it wasn't Ruby. Yeah. More or less where you landed. I didn't really have a strong feeling about it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't... I, I wasn't running under the assumption that she was... I, I was never running under the assumption that she was like the person who had to have done it. Mm, see i think that's different so when i'm the way i'm role playing the character and just like operating obviously i beat the game before but i really am trying to put my head in where my harry's brain is mm-hmm. and where i'm coming from ruby was definitely the chief suspect well so i never unlocked i never unlocked the back door to the whirling and rags and all that stuff yeah so like my story where i told titus about why ruby is you know the the you know our best suspect is not even very convincing, <laughs> just uh, to be frank. It was me being like, well, there's a crane outdoors that she could have gotten up there. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, who else could have done it? Uh, so, and just so, your rhetoric got you there. But yes. for me, I had like, I have motive too, because I knew Ruby was romantically interested in Klausia. There's a peephole back in that wall in the in the crawl space of the whirling in rags. Yeah. That, that And the, like the footprints of the dragging foot are back there and it's like uh everything felt like it was cohering together i was like man i've got i've got uh motive i've got um i don't have a murder weapon but i do have like her kind of evidence of her being at the scene of the crime and she covered it up it all felt pretty airtight but the journal really put a damper on that for me yeah the i all i had was motive because i also had the kind of uh crush stuff Mm mm-hmm I had motive and then um, the cover-up and then mm-hmm. the fleeing, mm-hmm. which is just circumstance. You know, that's not, there's no direct evidence there, right? And, but, yeah. and so for me, when I was playing through the conversation, it felt a lot more like I was selling Titus a story, the best possible story I could. But not necessarily than, one that you believed in. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. it's okay. just not not very convincing where I had it. But yeah, so yeah. she does that and um, we're kind of left without a suspect again. And now something's happened. What? Something's happened in the game. What? We, uh... Wait, hold on. Are we in the end game now? We're... We're... I'm, I'm holding up one finger. My, my cloak is billowing. Uh-oh. 
I'm thinking about going to meditate in Antarctica because I just don't want to have to deal with the Hulk. All of your text messages appear on screen all the time. <laughs> You've got some sort of mind palace flipping around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're like Harry Dubois. Mm-hmm. Harrier. Mm-hmm. Some sort of warrior. Mm-hmm. I'm a Star Trek villain. There you go. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah. so that all happened. Yeah, that all happened. And uh, now something has happened. This is the inflection point of the game, which is the end. It's this, this game is, I know we're at the end of the episode here, but I just mm-hmm. want to make the observation. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we're going to talk more in our like 10th episode, mm-hmm. uh, kind of after we finish the game of like big thoughts, but bizarre pacing just playing it again and just experiencing it i think it it's very much speaks to like you talk about the novelty of the game and how different it is the first time you're playing it mm-hmm. and maybe that's the case when you like reread a mystery novel i don't know i don't do that i don't read them the initial time so i never have the opportunity to reread them mm-hmm. you you yeah. really nip it in the bud <laughs> yeah it's not the... a problem for you yeah there never was a mystery i never have to solve them uh, well, yeah, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, as I was reading around trying to figure out, figure out about the stupid shivers check, uh, th- I also ran upon a lot of threads of people saying like, yeah, this is kind of the beginning of the end in the sense of the game does not cash the check that it writes at the beginning for many people. And I don't know if I think that I actually think maybe the pacing is a little bit better on the other side here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll talk about it. But yeah. I think that. This part, the Ruby, Ruby to the part that we're going to talk about at the beginning of next episode, they're the worst parts for me. Mm. But then the kind of next part I think is really good. So anyway, we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, it. In the next episode, Range Touch uh, on Twitter, at Range Touch, if you want to do that. If you want to listen to this as a podcast rather than watching it here on YouTube, you can do that down in the description below. You can find a link to a podcast feed. And uh, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash range touch. The link is down below there. Every bit of patronage helps every dollar. If you like the show and you like listening to it and you want us to keep making things like this for the next however long, consider supporting us for as little as a dollar a month. It takes you very little time to uh, to sign up and it helps us out a lot. So uh, think about doing that and we will see you on the next episode. Definitely. Ciao. Oh.